Welcome to the Love Your Truth podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jen Chrisman, personal development and spiritual teacher. Each week, I will be bringing you an inspiring guest or thought that will help you move beyond fear and doubt and unlock your true potential because you know there's something inside of you that you want to express and a kind of life that you want to create. We're going to be talking about personal development, spirituality, wellness, and manifesting the life of your dreams. You'll get a blend of practical and spiritual advice where woo-woo meets neuroscience that you can begin applying to your life today. Hello and welcome back to the Love Your Truth podcast. I am your host, Dr. Jen Chrisman, and I am so excited to share today's episode with you. So I have a very special guest with me here in this episode. It is none other than my very own boyfriend, Matthew Carolyn. And this has been an episode that has been quite some time in the making and something that I'm really excited to bring to you. And we've toyed around with this idea for quite some time of just letting people in on our conversations and hearing some of the the banter that we have, but also the depth of the, the conversations and the work that we are doing both together and as individuals. So I am really excited to share this with you and I would love to hear from you after you listen what your thoughts are if you would like more of these conversations. We have played around with the idea of making this a a regular uh, experience and kind of bringing in a more masculine energy to the Love Your Truth podcast on a more consistent basis. So I would love to hear from you if that feels like something that you would want and you would look forward to. And before we get into this episode, I do also want to share with you that there is a, a special, I guess you can call it, um, but right now, if you're interested in joining my monthly membership, the Embodied Life Experience, it's a monthly coaching container where we come together twice a month. We have a live breathwork session as well as a live EFT tapping session. And in addition to that, there's also a huge library and database of uh, of videos that have breathwork practices, meditations, uh, different embodiment experiences that you can use on a daily basis. They're five to 10 minute practices to support your ongoing, um, your ongoing journey of healing because you know, just like your physical health is something that requires consistency and daily commitment, so too does your emotional and spiritual health as well. So if you are interested in experiencing this monthly container, you can join right now for only $1 for the first month. And so I'm really excited to share that uh, and, and invite more people to uh, embody their their highest self. And if you're interested, you can visit www.drjenniferchrisman.com for more information. And without any further ado, let's get on to this week's episode. I know I'm awkward too, because yeah. getting started is... Is always the hardest it's part. It's always the hardest part. Yeah. yeah. Once so, we get into it, it'll be fine. Yeah. So what if I told you we're recording right now? Okay, great. And it, we're already in it. Perfect. Yeah. Let's stay in it. Let's stay in it. Okay. okay. Awesome. So welcome to the podcast. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> it's about time. Truly. 
It is about time. Yeah. And, and I actually do think that there is a story to be told there as to why it's been it's been a long time coming. Yeah. Uh, and you just didn't want me to, you know, come in and take take the, take the spotlight. Yeah, that's what it was. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, before we get into the actual story of why it took so long for you to get here, let's actually do a proper introduction because most people know you most likely from Instagram and just the people that are listening who know me personally and know that you are my boyfriend and that we've been together for a few years. But let's do a, an even more proper introduction. Okay. So tell us a little bit about you. I'm Paleo Viking. I'm Jen's boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> um, gosh, where do we start? Well, we can start with the work that you're doing in the world right now. Okay, the work I'm doing in the world right now is uh, I'm a medicine guide and a spiritual practitioner uh, slash coach who helps people connect to themselves, to spirit, to source, to the planet, um, and kind of guides them to reconnect and find right relationship with whatever it is they're, they're struggling with. So the obvious like next steps there uh, would be sharing a little bit about how you came to that work. Um, it started way before I actually started doing the work. Um, I, I, I'll go back to the first time I had a spiritual experience, um, in, which was about, about, about 20 years ago, maybe a little less. Um, I was struggling with addiction, um, and I had just gotten released from jail, actually. And they release you at 12.01, midnight. And so I didn't have anywhere to go. I kind of wasn't sure, like, what path I was going to take or or what I wanted to do. But I knew I needed to, like, think about some shit. Um, And so I walked from, from Santa Ana down to Newport Beach. Uh, and by the time I got down to the beach, the sun had started to come up and I remember having this really profound feeling as I'm standing there on the water's edge, um, contemplating life, you know, and what, what I was doing. Um, and there was this overwhelming feeling, uh, that came over me that was like, if I take one step to the left, I'm going to, I'm going to try, I'm going to try to like fix my life. Um, and the other way was if I take a step to the right, I'm going to commit to this, this lifestyle. I'm going to lose my family. I'm going to, you know, because the, the one foot in one foot out was like really tiring. You know, I had, um, like was kind of trying, but also like didn't know how to try, (laughs) if that makes sense. Um, and then in that moment, there was this, this something came up from behind me and pushed me to the left. Like there was no, even though I knew that the stepping to the right was an option, I wasn't given, like the choice was made for me. Um, and that was really one of the most profound spiritual experiences I've, I still have ever had to, the, to date um, because there was something that wasn't allowing me to quit on myself. There wasn't, you know, something outside of myself was not giving up on me. And so in that moment, I decided I'm not going to give up on myself. No matter what happens, no matter how long this takes, I'm never going to quit on myself. You know, I might 
falter and fall, but I, I, I won't quit trying because there was like, it was such a, a, an important moment in my life that I couldn't, there was no way I could deny what just happened. But from that moment, your, your life and the path that unfolded for you was far from glamorous. Oh yeah. And it was far from like the, you know, the clouds parting and the angels coming down and like the, oh, the spiritual awakening. So, so how do you make sense of that process of what happened for you of having had the spiritual experience and understanding even at that time that something bigger than you was at play, but yet on some level still turning your back to yeah, it because I couldn't stay connected to it. You know, it takes, uh, you know, it took me 20 years to figure out what I needed to do to stay connected to it. And um, being completely honest with myself um, and walking with integrity is what re was required for me to stay connected to that spiritual experience. And I just wasn't ready to be honest with myself. I wasn't, I was still very much willing to pass the buck and to be a victim and to place blame and, and really not take responsibility. I wanted somebody else to take responsibility for it and just allow me to kind of continue to play small, um, which wasn't, wasn't working, right? Like to kind of be connected to that type of spiritual experience. Um, like I was in a really vulnerable place. And so vulnerability through rigorous honesty and complete honesty is what kind of helped me reconnect to that same spiritual experience I had 20 plus years ago recently, you know, in my life now is, and that's how I keep it is by allowing myself to, to be vulnerable and to continue to learn and to take full responsibility for what it is I'm doing and, and how I'm showing up in the world. Um, you know, and so, yeah, those 20 years uh, were really hard. They weren't glamorous at all. There was a lot of the same behaviors that were, were continuing to play out, and I couldn't figure out how to not be that way. You know, I had been this way for so long. It was, how do I live a life not being that way? Um, and what came of that was, like, learning all the ways that didn't work. <laughs> You know, like I exhausted every single way of living that didn't work for me. Um, and it's, it doesn't have to be that hard for everybody, but for me it did. Um, so I want to, I'm going to like interrupt because I kind of want to take a few steps back. Because when I met you, you were like at the height of, <laughs> um, of being very caught up in a, a, a way of living where you were hiding so much of who you were in the outside world, had a, you had a very strong image of what people saw. And, and I, that's what I saw. And I remember when we first really started having honest conversations about your life and what you had been through, I remember having such a hard time wrapping my head around what you just shared about having been in jail. But I feel like this is such an important piece of the story to to talk about kind of all of it. Like when you say, you know, you and I know what we're what you're talking about, the 20 years being a struggle and you and I know the story of you in jail. But I don't know that a lot of people really understand the depths of what you have walked 
through within yourself. And so I feel like let's kind of, can we go back and talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, you know, I carried a lot of guilt and a lot of shame from, from early on uh, growing up. I had a lot of raw talent. I was smart. I was athletic. Um, I consider myself good looking. And I, I know you do too. Thank God. <laughs> Um, charming so, and witty as well. So clearly. modest. <laughs> really, we'll put modesty at the top yeah. of that list. Um, you know, but eventually, like, and I, so I just relied on that. I relied on just raw talent. I never really worked hard. Uh, I never really practiced hard. I was just really good at things. Um, but that only took me so far. And when it came time to like work hard at things, um, I didn't want to. You know, so I kind of like had a lot of potential that I gave up on. Um, and that started to eat away at me, knowing that like I have this gift and this potential inside of me, but I'm choosing to like not acknowledge it and not look at it um, for a lot of different reasons. Um, you know, hard work is hard work. You know, and I wanted to be comfortable. I wanted to just kind of skate by and and do the bare minimum to satisfy everybody else so that I could continue to self-indulge with alcohol, drugs, women, all of it. Um, you know, and that's the cycle, right? Like, and then, but doing those things just put on more guilt and more shame because I knew it wasn't, it wasn't in line with who I was and what I wanted to do. But at the time, uh, it was like the quick fix to, to my problems, to escape, to, to numb, to not have to feel any of the wasted time and energy that I had squandered. How old do you think you were when you really became aware of the shame and the coping mechanism of drugs and alcohol to mask shame. Was that something that you knew was happening when it was happening? Or was that something that you are just now, like in hindsight, able to see? Uh, hindsight. Yeah. Definitely hindsight. Um, when I was in it, it was, it's my body, I can do whatever I want with it. It's my time, it's my life, I can do whatever I want with it. You know, and, and what happened was, you know, drugs and alcohol they hijacked they took they took my they took the fire inside of me and put it out and lit a new one um and that's all i could hear like all i could care about all i could think about all i could work hard for was to keep that going while not letting anybody know that that's what i was doing um so you know hence you know, and I and I, fin I finally figured out that drugs weren't working for me. Um, you know, and I had been in and out of jail multiple times. Like after that time uh, that we're talking about now, where there was that spiritual experience, I should finally finish that story a little bit. Um, so after that moment where something pushed me from behind, I went um, and I called my dad. He drove down, picked me up drove me straight to the airport and then I flew to Michigan where I was there in a treatment center there for three months. Um, 
And but didn't you leave that treatment center? I did. So yes. So <laughs> I, I let them, yes. Good. Thank you. Uh-huh. So I wasn't. I was there for three months, but after about two weeks, I left, flew back. Um, I called my dealer and had him buy me a plane ticket, and I flew back. And within those, and I was home for maybe six months before I went back to Michigan. And in those six months, um, you know, the universe did not let me enjoy any a second. I mean, I was on the run. I was hiding in hotels. And I mean, there was task force chasing us. And uh, there was nowhere for me to go. There was no escape at this point anymore, you know, and and I truly do believe that that was these are like prayers being answered in a way that like were beyond my understanding, even at the time. Right. I, I didn't want to get caught. I didn't want to. But yet this wasn't my path and the universe wasn't going to allow me to keep doing this shit. Um, and so finally, I, I remember like I remembered that experience on the beach and I remembered, you know, like, so I was with, my daughter needed a parent, <laughs> you know, my daughter who was maybe three, four years old at this time, um, and my running partner was her mom. Um, we were both in it on the streets, doing, committing crimes, doing drugs, all of the things just to keep the drugs going, you know, we were both consuming a lot of drugs at the time, and drugs aren't cheap. <laughs> So, and I knew, uh, you know, and part of me, and this was like the part of me that like still knew there was good inside of me was because I was trying to, to save both of us, you know, but also at the same time by me trying to save her allowed me to be able to still continue to use drugs. So there's like this, this pull of like, what is it? Am I, am I a good person trying to do the right thing? Or am I using this like good intention to continue to like do this bad thing, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and and I still to this day don't really know like which one was it was. I just know that my daughter needed somebody, and looking across the room at at the mom, I knew it wasn't going to be her. Um, and so I I. I for somebody else, I, I decided to go back, you know, for my family, because I knew, like, I remember that moment, like, I can't give up, like, I can't give up on myself, like, you know, I can't save her, but I can maybe save myself, I don't really know yet, but I'm going to try, um, and that was maybe my fifth or sixth time in treatment, you know, um, but, you know, again, everything happening for a reason, when I went back, this second time to the same place in Michigan, I met three guys there that were immediately became like brothers. Uh, among other people. But those guys saved my life. They showed me, uh, they showed me who I was. You know, they reminded me who I was and, and like, really helped to bring out the gifts inside of me. Um, and I stayed sober for a long time after that, six years. 
um, moved back east so I could be close to them. Um, and yeah, and be, you know, as close to them as I could because that was what kept me sober. I mean, there was times where I was living in New York City and a good friend of mine uh, who lived in New Jersey at the time, um, like I would play this game where I was like ready to go get drugs somewhere, find, you know, go to the park and I would just call him and I'd be like, if he answers, I'm going to tell him what I'm doing. And if he doesn't, I'm going to get drugs. And he, and this guy answered his phone every single time, you know, and he always talked to me off the ledge. Um, and, you know, like I truly believe that like without support in that area, I would have been done. I, w I wouldn't even be here today. Like, uh, you know, um, and that wasn't the time that, you know, I might have been sober for about six years, but that relapse came again, mm -hmm. you know, um, and, you know, because I relied on people, you know, too much, as much as like support as I needed, like there's a certain part of like responsibility still that I wasn't willing to take. Um, you know, and I kept giving that power of choice in a way or gambling on it. Like if I'm going to call him and if he answers, I'm going to tell him and if he doesn't that, you know, that's a 50, 50 chance. Right. And I'm putting my, my future in on a gamble that way. Um, because I was, I couldn't take responsibility. I couldn't find it within myself to hold on to the emotion that was pulling me in that direction, that uncomfortable feeling of being with myself by myself. Like I couldn't, I couldn't hold that at that time. And so I needed other people to like, you know, be like, you're worth it, you know, and like, don't do it. Like you deserve better than this. Like I couldn't have that conversation with myself at that time. What do you think it was that prevented you from being able to have like give yourself that and be able to take the responsibility that the was, guilt and the shame, yeah. you know, the things that I had done, like I had hurt a lot of people, you know, the ones closest to me, my family, my parents, my brothers, my daughter, you know, who didn't even know she was getting hurt at the time. Um, you know, and that was like a, I couldn't forgive myself. Um, and that's still something that I work on. You know, it's it's not an easy task to, it's, it's not easy to live that life. It's not. Um, you know, and when you're caught up in that cycle, it's hard to get out because of the guilt and shame. Those two things can ruin a, a life. They can take a life very quickly. Um, so, it, I mean, it sounds like, you know, and I know, like I, we said, like I know so much of the story, but you, you built the, uh, right? You built like a new home on a foundation of sand, yeah. right? Like the sobriety and this new life that was being built was being built on a foundation of guilt and shame. And you, so you went to New York, you're sober, you're living on the East Coast, and and from here is when you got into fitness and started on a new path of 
Soul Cycle, which is was when we met. Yeah. And let's talk a little bit about that experience. So back east, like what I did was, and I didn't know it at the time, but like the things that I did to start to make myself feel good were was exercising. It was being outside. I mean, there'd be weekends where I would just jump on a bike and go out in the woods and be gone from like sunrise to sundown I'd have to call my girlfriend at the time and be like I'm not sure where I'm at but I'm gonna find you an address and like come and get me because like I would just go and like get lost and but it felt so good to me like I remember I would just cry sometimes because of the beauty beautiful things that I would see um, out there and so fitness became a way that I was able to like build up some confidence back in myself right it was a way for me to like learn how to do hard work and how to do hard things because uh, it wasn't easy for me uh, I was smoking cigarettes at the time um, <laughs> you know and working out and again like the universe like kind of showed me like what I needed to do and and I remember specifically I, I was smoking a cigarette after a workout of course you were <laughs> and and I started to get really lightheaded but not like lightheaded in a like this was like a, I knew something was wrong and I had brand new neighbors that had just moved in across the way from me uh and they barely spoke any English they were from Taiwan and but I knocked on their door because I knew I was going down and and he opened the door and I kind of just collapsed into his arms and, and he took me to the hospital. And when I came to in the hospital, uh, they ran a bunch of tests and things, but the doctor was like, you're either gonna, you know, and he told me like when you smoke cigarettes after working out, it's even more harmful than to somebody who's not working out because your blood vessels are really dilated and you know, your body is opening up to receive nutrients and, and, proteins and you know it's like working normally so when you put this toxin in there you're just doing more damage than you know he's like you need to quit working out or quit smoking and I went home I think I smoked maybe two more cigarettes after that and I but I quit I, I threw everything away I didn't do the patch I didn't do gum I just was like fuck this I'm I'm done because working out became like my dopamine fix like mm -hmm. it became the the thing that I enjoyed more than anything else, you know, and I didn't even like smoking. It was just an addictive habit, you know, at that point. Um, but I will say this, quitting smoking was one of the hardest things I've ever done. It was three days of hell and misery. I locked myself. I told my girlfriend at the time, don't come over. I'm going to lock myself in the house. And I think I like broke cups and like yelled and I mean, screamed at myself and, did all of the things, but I didn't go buy a pack. I knew I was done and I wanted to be done. And that was like what kind of helped me through that was like sitting with those feelings, but like wanting to be free of that, you know, those chains that I had been carrying for so long. So that started my exercise, right? And then uh, about six years living on the East Coast, I was walking down. Uh, fifth avenue actually one winter right before thanksgiving and was freezing my ass off it was like each year i was out there winter was got like longer and darker and longer and darker um and so i called my mom and i said i'm coming home 
I said, I'm going to be out here for one more year. Um, and then I'm going to come back to California. And it was one of the hardest choices, decisions I ever had to make because I had built a life out there that was working for the first time in my entire life. Like this was working. I had built up a great personal training business. I had um, an, an employees underneath me. I had a ton of client. Things were just going really fucking well. Um, but I wasn't with my family, you know, and like I would see them a lot, but I, you know, they would come out and my youngest brother was living in New York at the time too. So, but it wasn't, it wasn't home. California was home for me. Um, and so I came back, uh, had a friend of mine who was working for soul cycle and went to take one of her classes. i didn't know what was happening. I was dying in the back. Me and my brother, Michael, went. and uh, But I saw what she was doing. You know, I got it really quickly. Um, she was doing what I was doing, but it, in a room full of 60 people where I was doing it, like, one-on-one, small groups. Um, and so she... <laughs> It's kind of a funny story. She gave me a stack of free passes because I was like, she was like, you need to do this. You'd be great at it. And I was like, you're right. <laughs> you're, you know, modesty. I would be great at this. <laughs> um, and so I took the free stack. I took the class in West Hollywood. And then, but I was living in Newport. So I took the stack of free passes, walked into the Newport studio, handed the whole stack to him and said, hey, I'm Matthew. I'm going to be an instructor. Here's my free passes. <laughs> And they looked at me like I was batshit crazy, insane. Um, LB, Molly, love you guys. Thank you for believing in me if you're listening to this. Um, and they did. They, they supported me, like, fully. Like, Cycle at the time was an incredible community that I was really proud to be a part of. Um, I rode there daily for, like, a few months and then auditioned and got the part and flew back to New York uh, for 10 weeks to go through their training program. And um, in that 10 weeks, um, it was like one of the best times I've had in my entire life still to this date. That was an incredible experience that I'm so thankful and so grateful for. The people I met, the people I was in training with, just the whole experience from top to bottom was something I'll never forget. And, And I grew a lot in that time. But so did my ego. Um, But my ego didn't really start to explode until later on even. Um, I still had, I was still grounded um, thanks to like the people that I had around me at that time. Um, Santron and, you know, Noah, some guys from training that I really connected with. um, That kind of, we kept each other really grounded in that space. uh, and then I came back to Newport and, and did well for a while. Um, and then I was kind of, I hurt myself. I got hurt. Well, I think that there's something in there before we get to that part, because I think this is an important piece of like, what you're saying of, you know, there was an aspect of um, like the, the sweetness that you brought to to soul cycle and the focus on community and family night right family night was created when you were still in that place of feeling grounded and you were willing 
to start at the bottom and do what needed to be done to grow something. Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, which goes back to like, okay, now I know I'm capable of doing hard things, you know, um, and we did. There was a couple of us. We took Newport Beach Studio from being one of the bottom studios in the country to the one of the top three, rotating with the top top three in the entire country. Um, and we did it by doing just that, by like just doing what we being ourselves. You know, there was I wasn't the only one. There was an, a, a lot of instructors there that were all just really genuine, authentic people. Josh. Um, Alexa, there was, you know, uh, who else was there at the time? Uh, Alba was there still. And it was, it was just a bunch of people that loved doing what they did and loved the people that were part of the community, like authentically. Like we did everything together. We did birthdays together, like the front desk staff, managers, housekeeping, all of us. Like we did everything together all the time. Um, so when was it? Because it was before the you got injured. What do you think it was that happened for your ego? Right, you said your ego exploded. Yeah. Like, what do you? Was there a moment that you can remember? Was it just a culmination of? I, I do. I re- I remember a moment specifically, but you know, it was a, a buildup of this, right? Like. You know, as an instructor in any fitness industry, we get a lot of credit where we shouldn't get credit. Um, you know, we're not riding the bike. You are. <laughs> You're doing the work. Um, but people do, you know, it was like a sanctuary. It was a safe place for people to come in and, and process things. Um, and so we would get a lot of accolades, you know. And in the beginning, like I was... Like, they felt good to hear, but I also knew that, like, it wasn't me. Um, You know, but prolonged exposure to that, you know, being put on a pedestal um, for things that I really didn't deserve, like, started to become the reason why I did it, rather than, like, because it was what I liked to do. I started to do it for what I heard people saying. Um, Well, and I think you just said something really important too of uh for something that you didn't deserve which takes us back right to that foundation of shame and guilt and i think like another piece of that's so important where i feel like you know so many people come up against this right you had this whole life behind you right jail and drugs and leaving your family to to try and salvage something and nobody knew about any of that you came into soul cycle and all of that was kept hidden from people and like the like the the space between the truth of who you are and the image that gets projected i imagine like each you know each class just got wider and wider and wider yeah yeah because i couldn't tell people right like they and that was where like because people were giving me too much credit for their healing and so if I were to have couldn't be that staple for them, it was like going to, in my eyes, in my mind, it was going to be, it was going to take away all of the healings that they had had in my classes. Um, and, but I do, I remember specifically this woman um, came up to me after class one day, um, who I, and I had seen her often, um, you know, when we had had small talk before, but she pulled out a picture of her child 
um, who didn't have any hair. She, her child was battling cancer. Um, and she broke down and, and like just really thanked me for like, so without even knowing, but like providing a space for her to like process and, and move things through. Um, and, and I was really touched by it, but I knew like when I walked out of there, I was like on cloud nine, right? Like, which is not a feeling I should have been having after an experience like that. Um, and that was like my ego exploding. Um, I, it was, it became all about, please tell me how great I am. You know, like every class I would spend hours on a playlist. I would spend, you know, doing all of this research, not because I wanted to help people anymore, but because I wanted the people that I was helping to tell me how fucking great I was. Um, all the while hiding everything that I went through that helped me be able to relate to people at that level. And that was what, why I think I was so successful because I could relate to people in any walk of life. You know, like my family night, we had all walks of life come into that room from, I mean, my grandma rode sometimes, like other people brought their grandmas, people brought their kids that, you know, we had, you know, every walk of life, CEOs, housewives, TVs, you know, athletes to people that I would like give free passes to because they couldn't afford to come, you know, and they all got along. We all became like a big giant family. Um, and that was only possible because I could relate to people on a level like, but I couldn't never share how I was able to relate because that part of my story I couldn't share. Um, I wasn't strong enough in you know, like you were saying, that foundation was built on sand. So I wasn't secure enough or strong enough to be honest and, and speak the truth about my life and what was happening with me. Um, it was just like, you know, the fitness. I was like the fitness health guy that was didn't couldn't make mistakes, mm -hmm. you know, and I was like, yes, that is me. And so I couldn't make mistakes. Um, and then I had a big fall from grace because of that, mm -hmm. you know, something had to give, right. Yeah. It was either going to be the illusion or, you know, you're going to meet yourself where you really believed yourself to be at, which is what you ended, ended up, up doing. Yeah. Um, and so I, I injured my back riding. I was teaching 20 plus classes a week at the time. Um, and I had been to this doctor before and shared with him that I don't take narcotics. Um, and, but this, for whatever reason, again, the universe was really kind of helping me out in a way that like is unfathomable to me at the time, but like hindsight, like it's all supposed to be this way. Um, I was walking back to my car and I looked down at the prescription and I saw, oh, there's a narcotic on here. One that I knew I shouldn't be taking. And I took one step back to the office to go tell him. And as soon as I did that, I took another step back to my car. Um, you know, it happened that fast. It, it happened faster than, you know, but I still had to go to the pharmacy, fill it you know wait 
And the entire time I'm telling myself, this is fucking stupid. You're an idiot. You're, this is such a slippery slope. Like you came really fucking far and you're about to throw all of this away. Um, and you know, that's what's going to happen. There's no way you can continue to do what you're doing and do this. Like it's impossible. Um, but I didn't call anybody. I didn't pick up the phone and I didn't lean into any of the, the people that have helped kept me grounded up until that point. Um, and it was just one more thing to hide, you know? Um, and one more thing to help perpetuate more guilt, more shame, more masks, more, you know, and, and as soon as I started down that slippery slope, uh, it just, the seams came off quickly. Yeah, it unraveled real fast. Yeah. Real fast. Yeah. Um, and then I lost my job at SoulCycle because I couldn't, I mean, I was missing classes, you know, and they tried, God bless them, like they tried so hard to support me. Um, you know, I really don't have anything bad to say about SoulCycle. I really forced their hand on this one. Um, they were great. They really were. They, the staff, corporate, all of them, from top to bottom, they were fantastic trying to help me. But I couldn't be honest with them. I kept lying to them about what it was that was causing me to miss and, and start, you know, this total shift in behavior from being like a, an amazing employee to one that's like no show, no call in a full class on a Saturday morning. Because you are strung out and passed out from yeah. days of using drugs. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and my body would just shut down. Like it would just like I would sit down. And I would be asleep for like two days. Like it, my body just was like, fuck you, dude. Like you're killing me. I'm not working for you anymore. Um, and so it wasn't like intentional. It was never intentional. I was never, I never chose like something over showing up to work. It was, just, I was unconscious. I couldn't, my body was broken and I wasn't even awake to make the choice, you know? Um, it's really amazing. I mean, I know you and I kind of like we joke about it sometimes, but it really is remarkable that you are still alive today. Yeah, truly. Yeah. Teaching that many classes, you know, my my poor heart. <clears throat> you know, I, th I thank my heart on a daily basis for not shutting down on me. Um, it should have. Like it, you know, and I think, you know, it goes to tell us a lot about our bodies and what they're really capable of you know here's this thing beating in my chest for me showing up for me every single fucking day even when i wasn't showing up for it i gave two couldn't couldn't give two thoughts about my health or my yeah. and yet here i am in the health industry you know how common do you think that is of like fitness professionals having drug addictions and using drugs like meth to like get a certain body type and look a certain way uh, is that common? You know what? I, I can't say f specifically which drug is common, but I do know that I'm not the only one that struggles with addiction as in the fitness industry. Um, you know, but it is. It's like one of those things that we hide because we're supposed to be like leading the charge in health and wellness, right? Like we're, I mean, I was like 3% body fat like a buck 90 like of just solid muscle you know um 
And how much of that fed your ego too? Oh, well, it didn't start that way, yeah. you know, but like, yeah, like, you know, soul cycle is like, you know, girls, women coming up and just like grabbing my arms, like just because, you know, like it was like I was a piece of meat too, you know, like it wasn't, you know, it was like, yeah, people wanted to come to see a show and get a workout and hear what I was saying and all of the things. So, you know, but yeah, like there was a piece of it. Uh, that was ego, but it was also like it wouldn't didn't turn ego until drugs came back in, you know, um, and then it was all ego. Mm-hmm. Like there was no more soul it left in me at that point. Like you said, it unraveled quickly. Um, and so I lost my job after multiple, multiple attempts from uh, from an incredible company that I really loved. Uh, and it was that was crushing that threw me into a tailspin of more drugs more depression more hiding i mean it was the the darkest point in my life pretty much after that and how did it affect your relationship with your family did they stay by your side at that point or that like created conflict for them too it created conflict there too i mean yeah my whole family would come and ride you know my i mean there was times where my mom would be at the class that i didn't show up for you know um you know but my mom has always stuck by my side she's yeah i love that i love her she's been yeah a huge support even when uh, like but not in like an enabling way she used to be an enabling way <laughs> but now it's more of like a i don't know our our relationship has been like rocky to say the least but like there is a rock in that rockiness mm-hmm. too that is like her unwavering love for me mm-hmm. um and so I cleaned up a little bit for a hot minute. Uh, got my job back at SoulCycle. Um, but SoulCycle had sold the company. The two original founders had sold the company, and it was just a different, different vibe uh, after that. So, um, Yeah, I mean, I think, like, the... The reality is that fall from grace, like you said, it set in, you know, everything, like you've been saying, everything was setting something else in motion. And the truth is, you know, the, it's been about what, maybe four, almost five years since that fall from grace. And, and all of that four or five years has been a journey of rediscovery and like completely like genuine healing yeah and it's been a long slow process yeah for you which i think is important to talk about actually because you know there's a lot you you know i say this all the time but there's so much fluff out there right now in the personal development world and there's so much um false hopes being um sold 
yeah. to people and quick fixes and love attraction manifest this and blah, blah 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 and you know i think there's an aspect of like let's normalize the human experience and let's normalize the truth of what healing actually looks like because the reality is it's messy yeah. and your path has been messy but there's also been a lot of beauty in it yeah. um and i feel like we would be doing a disservice if we didn't talk about the role of psychedelics in your healing yeah. and kind of like how you are understanding this phase of sobriety and the work that you're doing um how what differentiates where you're at now from the other times in your life where you have known a sober way of being uh taking responsibility you know the very last time um you know i i, I relapsed and and was trying to get back on into sobriety like my initial reaction was to call somebody right call somebody ask for help um and i remember specifically calling about like i was two seconds away from calling a friend in michigan ironically not affiliated with in the past but to see if i could go stay with with her and her boyfriend while uh, you know so i could go through this um and and then like it clicked it all clicked in that moment like you're out i'm outsourcing myself i'm outsourcing my power here um if i do this on my own and sit with these uncomfortable feelings like you know the way the way it came to me like through psychedelics was like right we have these feelings right and it's like a wick to a candle you got to let it burn all the way out like you can't you can't so when we get these feelings of guilt shame sadness anxiety depression like if we try to, if we numb it, we're just stopping the process, but the process is not going anywhere. Like that feeling still needs to play all the way out. So you gotta let that wick burn all the way down, you know? And sometimes it, we get lucky and it's a quick burn and other times it's not. Sometimes it's a fucking long burn, you know? But I knew that there was not a question in my mind that like if I, if I outsource this, I'm repeating the same cycle. You know, but if I sit with all of these emotions and talk about fucking hot mess, like be a hot mess and like feel a thousand feelings that I had been numbing at one time, <laughs> right? And like not know how to sleep or couldn't eat. I was just crying and scared and it, like totally in fear of like, you know, how am I going to live my life without this crutch that I've been using for so fucking long, you know, but I didn't care. I, like I knew, cause I had had a little bit of sobriety before. So I, I knew that there was, it was better, like that I just had to hold on a little bit. Um, and so that's what I did. I held on for dear life. Um, and I felt what needed to be felt, um, you know, and it wasn't perfect. Right. I, I wasn't like, <laughs> sitting there like thinking this right now like while I was going through it you know I was neurotic I was I couldn't sit still I couldn't get out of bed I couldn't not cry you know like everything made me cry the hyper sensitivity that I was feeling was like overwhelming like everything made me cry um good and bad right the good like 
seeing my daughter made me cry, you know, like seeing my mom made me cry, you know, seeing you made me cry. Um, you know, and then like, and then I'd be angry at my mom. I'd be angry at my daughter. I'd be angry at you. And then I'd cry because I loved you. And then like, you know, so it was like this roller coaster, but it had to happen. It had to happen. I couldn't stop that process because what was happening was that process had been numbed for so long that like it came roaring back and like it had the opportunity to finally play out and it took it, you know, and so I had to let it play out. And I knew if I numb this out, it's just this is I'm just prolonging this experience. Um, and so, you know, and with psychedelics, like it, it showed me it, psychedelics give me a new perspective. Um, you know, they make sense of things for me that don't make sense in my mind. And I think along the lines of that, psychedelics in and of themselves aren't the answer. No. Right? Like you get shown that new perspective, but then the question is, what do you do, do with, it. Yeah. with that new perspective? And I know you tried for a long time to, to ignore it or to pretend, right? Like I can, I can see this but not actually apply it to apply my life. It. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the application stuff came, yeah, it's like over time, you know, it's like I have been asking God and praying that, you know, to be sober for years, right? Um, and every time I got caught, every time I got busted, every time I, you know, my masks got pulled, my covers got pulled, right? Every time I, I, those were prayers being answered, you know? Like, truly, like, I was asking for this, um, and that was what was being answered, you know? So then when psychedelics come along and they kind of show me that, right? Here I think I'm being a victim and I'm, like, having a really hard fucking life. Little to, you know, little do I know, that this is like the universe helping me out in a huge fucking way, helping me out in a way that I couldn't help myself. Um, and how can I not believe in that? Yeah. Right? How can I not see that bigger picture of and be like, oh my God, like I've never been alone. I've not, you know, like I'm so fucking deserving of this life that all of this shit has happened to me to help me stay alive, to help me like realize my true potential you know like thank god all of this like this path that i walked happened you know um do you have a um like a thought or a sense or an understanding like how do you make sense of the difference between like how come you were able to to see that or to accept or embrace that uh, when others can't, and I, I mean, when in your own life, right, for f almost 40 years, yeah. you couldn't see that as the experience, even though you grew up, you had faith, you believed in God, like that wasn't something that was a foreign concept for you. But, you know, for, for 40 years, you spent your life feeling like a victim, and then something happened that allowed you to be able to to embody a new perspective and like what do you think that was do you have an idea of what that was yeah, it, w it, it was sitting with all those feelings 
It was making the choice to not give away my power to some, for somebody else to bail me out, for somebody else to help me through what was going to be one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life. Um, You know, and I know like, like I said, there is an aspect to like, yeah, like we need support sometimes. But like, if we keep relying on the support all the time, then we don't really get to learn our own way. We just become like habitually used to the support. And so we don't really actually learn what needs to be learned because we outsource that. Um, And so, you know, and that also goes in that we don't get to experience what we need to experience, you know, and I need to, I needed to experience the fucking hell of feeling all of the feelings that I was feeling and that I had been numbing and all of the guilt and all of the shame and, and witness myself having that experience Um, and seeing myself hold on to that, you know, and like see myself fight for myself and see myself fight for my life um and and see myself fighting for the faith and for the hope and for the prayers right like it's like these prayers were being answered but they kept being answered because i wasn't fighting for them right i kept like continuing on that cycle so my prayers kept having to be answered in a really hard way of of being caught being fired being arrested being you know, homeless being all of these things like, um, and so like holding on to myself and not outsourcing and and leaning into support too much. Right now I reach out for support all the time, but that experience I had been, I had been prolonging that experience, which needed to happen. Well, and I think there's a difference too, you know, just sort of, you know, being, you know, being a part of this path and watching it and, you know, being able to, to recognize there's a difference between I'm reaching out because I need somebody else to do something for me versus I'm reaching out so that I can, um, you know, there's like a, a sovereignty to I'm reaching out and I'm showing myself to someone else, right? That's a much more empowered place yeah. that of, uh, you know, I'm, I'm stepping out from hiding versus come rescue me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's huge. Yeah. And that's what kind of where it, f- it finally fell for me was like, yeah, I was like, help me, save me yeah. to somebody else. And then finally I was like, help me, save me to myself. Um, and that was the experience that needed to happen. And and that was the shift like that. That's when everything started to make sense, you know, that there wasn't any mistakes that the, that I've never been like alone in this path, even in the darkest of times, like the darkest of times where, you know, and, and kind of back to what you said also is like, like there is this aspect of, of the spiritual world right now and, and personal development of like, everybody's like wanting to like run towards the light right you like do some medicine and then you're like all about the light you know like a light worker but you know the truth is i believe that it's in the darkness is that like we find the light like we can't it can't just be all love and light like you need to learn to like love and slay the fucking dragon at the same time yeah you know like yeah. Well, and it's the polarity too, right? Like you, you need the dark in order to really know the light. Like how can you ever truly appreciate 
what you have if you don't know what it's like to have nothing. Yeah, I was just having this conversation with with a friend of mine on Monday about about this, like in the you know the alchemy, right? Like, and this isn't you know no one raises their hand and wants to be a drug addict. That's like a a, a fact, right? So like anybody who is judging somebody for being caught in addiction or alcoholism, like I want to get that very fucking clear. Like no one chooses this life. You know, it's something that we go through and, and judgment isn't something that, that helps people out of it for one. Um, but there's an aspect to that of the people that do come out of it are the best fucking people you'll ever meet. They have a level of, of, understanding and compassion that is unmatched by anybody who hasn't had that um there's a level of of love and care and concern uh for others that isn't people have a hard time fathoming right like and it goes because like i've been given so much forgiveness in my life from other people now i can forgive people for the everything like there's nothing somebody can do to me that isn't going to be forgivable you know um and that's a gift that i have now because of it was given by others um you know and when we need these things like forgiveness compassion love you know understanding compassion you know these things are available for us but we only know them because of when we've been given them you know and so to have been shown compassion and understanding and being given forgiveness. Um, like the, you, you can't help but have that like enormous amount of that to give back. Like that's like a, one of the first things that comes to me. Um, anytime I'm like in a situation that requires it, I'm like, oh, it's all right. I got you. It's fine. I understand. You know, because it's true. I do. Like there's not a part of me that doesn't understand when somebody does something out of integrity or out of alignment. I get it. I get it right away. I fucking understand you. I know I was there. I, I get it. And so how do we get, you know, with clients, like I, I, how do we get back? You know, like there's, you know, there's a, a tenderness that is involved in, in healing and then there's a fierceness that is involved in getting back in line, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And so... It's right. The light and the dark. You need both. You need both, you know? And so there, I needed a lot of compassion and understanding and forgiveness for all of the guilt and the shame, you know? And now, like, if I fall out of alignment, there's a, I need fierceness to, like, be like, no, that's not fucking what we're doing here. Like, this is the fucking bar. This is the standard. Like, clean that shit up and, and get back to it, you know? And, and I'm not, like, wallowing in it, and I'm not, like, allowing that one mistake or that one off step to throw me down into that spiral of, of guilt and shame, right? But if I just was soft and tender all the time, you know, if I step out of alignment and make a mistake, oh, okay, like, oh, I forgive you. Like, the, the, you know, that, then that's like, oh, okay, next time I do it, I know it's fine because I'm going to be really gentle with myself. So, like, which doesn't work, you know. So, like, there's a gentleness that is involved in healing, but there's a fierceness involved in keeping that healing in line. Um, you know, and so now it's, 
like, you know, you know what's right now. Like, I know what to do. And if I don't do it, I need fierceness to get back mm-hmm. into the line, you know? But I didn't know what I didn't know at the time. And the stuff we do when we don't know what we don't know, like, requires a little bit of, like, more feminine gentleness to, like, nurture back into strength. But once we know, fucking clean it up. Do it. It's fine. Like, we're all human. Like, forgive and move forward. Like, forgive yourself and keep moving. At, at what point, though, do you feel like that becomes bypassing? Like, because, you know, I think that this is, I mean, I feel like this is probably an entire episode in and of itself, right? Yeah. Like, navigating the dynamics of addiction and, you know, the the fine line of forgiveness versus condoning and you know, like at what point is it like, okay, we've forgiven too many times now. Like, where do you, where do you cut it off? Like, do you ever cut it off? Like, could you imagine? No, No, you're never, you're a better person than I am. (laughs) (laughs) No, I think, um, I was laughing when you said about like the, the non-judging piece. Cause it's, you know, I think like being on the other side of it, it's really, really fucking hard to look at an addict and be like, what, like, yeah, what, what are you doing? doing? Yeah. Make a better choice. Yeah. Yeah. But we gave up our choice making power like through an addiction. Like we are no longer in control of the choice making part of our brain. Like the only choice is to get more and to do whatever it takes to get more, including, hurt people you love yeah like at what point though does that become a cop-out you know at some point like you had to make a choice right you made the choice that i'm gonna i'm gonna feel this you made the choice uh you made the no matter what choice right no matter what drugs aren't an option anymore yeah right and and i feel like uh everybody needs to come to that on their own you know like Part of it for me was, yeah, like I didn't like seeing people that I loved and cared about get hurt by my actions. You know, oftentimes as addicts, we think that we're just hurting ourselves, which is far (laughs) furthest thing from the truth, you know. Um, You know, and it was kind of like putting myself in other people's shoes, you know, and like taking a really honest look at myself. And and one this one exercise I did with. uh, uh, his name's Dr. Alan Berger, which I still use today for myself and with clients is like, is this, it's a chair exercise, all right? So you sit in one chair, you have two chairs facing each other. You sit in one chair and you say something like, I don't fucking deserve to be sober. Like I, I can't do this. It's too fucking hard. And then you get up and you go sit in the other chair and you respond from like your highest self. You're like, what are you talking about? You got this. You can fucking do it. And you get back up and then you keep having this conversation where you move seats. And what that does is it creates a separation between the addiction and yourself, right? Because when you're in addiction, there is no other, like it's the only voice. It's, it's the good voice. It's the bad voice. But it's manip- like we're gaslighting the shit out of ourselves before we're gaslighting anybody else. So being able to separate those voices to hear the difference, you know, because addicts are still like the addiction is running the fucking show, no doubt. But there's still a part of us that that is in there because the part of us that didn't raise our hand to fucking want this life. Right. Um, that part is still in there. And so we need to give strength to that voice. And so 
by having those conversations with yourself, you separate and you can kind of hear and all it takes is a little bit of separation, right? To be able to hear those two voices and be able to tell this is the addict talking and this is me, you know? And then once you have that separation, you fight like fucking hell to keep it because at that point you can see that it is a fucking battle and it is a war and that the addictive voice is learning as you learn. It's going to be sneaky. And the moment you take your eyes off of it is the moment that it comes back in and it sounds just like your highest self. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I mean, I'm just sitting here and I'm thinking like, okay, let's bring, like I'm wanting to like, like let's talk about the fruits of that effort because I feel like there is that piece, you know, and again, like we're talking about the the truth here, right? There's no sugarcoating it. That, like, it's it's work. It takes yeah. like everything. But like, let's talk about why that work is worth it. Because I can look at myself in the eye. Mm. You know, I can wake up and not be a slave to something that is harmful to me. I can wake up and be a positive force in this world instead of being something that just took and took and took. Um, I'm able to, to wake up and give, you know, and, and use my experience to connect with people in like a real genuine, authentic way. Um, you know, I can, I'm not so hard on myself anymore. You know, some days I am, but other days, like I can be more understanding to where I'm at, you know, without like, I can have feelings without attaching all my shit to it, you know, and being like, you know, if I'm sad today, I'm not a sad person. I'm not depressed. I'm just having an off day. And like, sometimes there's things I can do that are going to take me out of that. And other days it's something I need to ride out, you know, and, and hopefully I get another opportunity the following day to, to wake up in in a different way. Um, but the benefit of it is like, I have a choice. Like I have power. I have like a say in my life, you know, um, I'm not controlled by something, by a substance that just, it was doing nothing for me but causing pain. Um, and how does this experience, how does what you've, what you've gone through and, you know, who you are today, how does that inform the work that you're doing right now? Um, like it makes me, like I can hear people. Like I can sit with anybody and what they're feeling um, and, and understand it. You know, I can, it helps me being able to like track myself helps me really stay on track with other people. Um, and, and kind of like help move them along through their process, right? If they're starting to like get stuck too much in the work, right? And like too much self honesty is starting to like start to be harmful to them, right? They're, then like kind of helping deflect and and redirect into like a new perspective, right? And that's what all of the psychedelics work are about, right? Like that's why they call it an altered state of consciousness. The consciousness that I had created wasn't fucking working. 
So I needed something to help alter my state of consciousness so that I could see myself differently. I could see my life differently. Psychedelics aren't necessarily needed or required for that shift to happen, but for me, they were. Um, and so being able to like understand and see that process is what I'm able to like share with other people. And like I can see, you know, really well, like, and a lot of the shifts like people need to make are just really small ones. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like really small shifts consistently lead to like the big fucking aha moments. Mm -hmm. Right. And like, you know, one of my teachers, Rev, uh, Rev Mikey Bernard Beckwith, I love him. Um, he was just saying this the other night, like where the experiences aren't what we chase. It's the connection, right? Like, yeah, the aha moments are great, mm -hmm. but like the connection to like being able to listen and hear and feel all of those, like the little ones, like that helped create the big ones. Like those, that's what we crave. That's what I crave. Like that's, you know, the aha moments are great. Don't get me wrong. I don't want to like say don't seek them out because when you get them fuck enjoy them they're the shit <laughs> <laughs> but also like there's things that happen on a regular basis you know like that can be so simple you know it's like saying thank you to the water you have when you brush your teeth so simple you know but like not taking things for granted treating everything as sacred treating your life as sacred your words as sacred learning how your thoughts don't define you uh but they can help guide you mm. and so on like a really practical level how do you help people come to that within themselves like what is the actual work that you do uh so breath work meditations um you know and like processing right like helping provide new shifts so the way that our brains work is we have an experience and then a feeling and a thought come and then an action typically comes after that so most work like comes from triggers right like we do things a lot like or a lot of our mm, the things that we do that aren't necessarily in alignment are typically when we're triggered right and so like we're always cleaning up the mistakes we make when we're triggered right we get triggered we react we have this thing and so what i do with people is help them kind of one identify what triggers them and one help them take full responsibility for the trigger and not like somebody else did this to me yeah they did that but your reaction was this way so now like what we do is like let's follow the reaction right like what is it so this marble right we got neurological pathways are like a formed right we've got a marble on top of a sandhill this thing happens and the marble goes down and it starts this chain reaction of thought feeling action so if the thought feeling action we're having is not a good one how do we change it right over time that groove gets really really deep so when we have this feeling thought or experience it starts that chain of reaction right but if we follow that chain of reaction when we're not in the triggered experience, we can see that somewhere along that cycle, there's something we do that takes us out of the triggered response, right? We come out of the victim, blame, anger, frustrated, and like there's something that like 
we do that it's like oh okay like i can come back in now and like have a normal conversation and not be so like blah um so like let's just do that right away right like you see the trigger happening you all of a sudden boom you're triggered you know now fuck i'm in it like you can't stop it but you know that if you like just do something you've done something in the past that took you out of it fucking do it right then like do it right then and there and and what that does is it allows you to put the marble back on top of the sand hill and push it in a new direction and over time like that groove that was really deep you know gets washed over and you get to create a new groove and it's a new it's how we rewire our brain you literally get new neurological pathways just by being aware of your cycles the cycles that you have in your life the behaviors like when you know and and that's how we do it that's how you rewire your brain to become more like in control of how you want your life and your thoughts to be like the type of person you want to be okay you can have that you don't have to think that way right it's hard and it takes a long time but you don't have to have those reactions you don't have to be so angry and frustrated and sad and depressed and like feeling like that like you can change that just by knowing your patterns and having some like somebody kind of coach you through a little bit of self-awareness um and once you're aware of it, that's half the battle. Mm-hmm. That's well, half the battle. Yeah, it's, the, it's the combination, right? Like transformation happens when you merge the awareness with the action. The action. Right? Yeah. Doing something different in that moment. And I'm aware of the time. Uh, and I know you, have, you do have a client <laughs> coming up. So we do have to, to wind this down. We're also over an hour at this point. Um, I'll have to do another one. Right? I know. We were, we've been talking about this actually. And, uh, I know I, I've, I know this story and, and I feel like we're just scratching the surface, um, of what is to come and how you and I can maybe start having these conversations and letting people have a little bit more of a, an inside glimpse as to, to what we chat about and how we think about the world and the work that's being done and so yeah we just started this process you're tearing up yeah sorry <laughs> <laughs> i'm a big crybaby what can i say i know it's it's why i love you so much maybe i should change my name to sensitive viking <laughs> <laughs> i mean the paleo doesn't really fit that much yeah. anymore anyways let's be honest uh, be transparency transparency right all right. Any final thoughts? Anything that you would like to to leave us with today? Um, I love you. Oh, I love you too. And everyone listening, in case you needed to hear it. <laughs> All right. And on that note, thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Love Your Truth podcast. Now I have a favor to ask of you. If you found any value whatsoever in this episode, it would mean the absolute world to me if you would share it with someone else, someone who you think might benefit from hearing anything that was shared in here, or if you feel so inclined, go ahead and leave a review. Reviews do so much to support the message and to support getting this out into the hands of others who need to hear what's being talked about. 
So again, thank you for being here. Thank you for choosing to spend your time. And I will look forward to seeing you in our next episode. Thank you.